One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning, One Church Park District, wonderful church family. I am reaching out and giving you guys a a hug today through the camera, Uh, but I would give you a hug if I could in person because some of you may know that I have been out of commission. Jennifer and I, as well as a number of others, have been out of commission for the last couple of weeks um, with the C word, but thank the Lord we have been cleared for contact, okay? And um, so we are not in person Uh, this Sunday, but we can't wait to be back together with you. But today I'm so glad I can speak to you, that we can be together. I know some of you are gathered in house church and uh, in in person, others of you watching online. And uh, I am so excited. In fact, next month we're going to be kicking off a new season of house church uh, through the fall season in uh, addition to this bi-weekly rhythm that we are in of meeting in person uh, at the community center one week and then online or in house church the other. And so whether you're gathered in house church, whether you're watching online, thank you for joining us. We're so glad that we can be together. And I have to tell you, um, that's actually what I want to speak about today. I want to speak about the, the power of togetherness. And uh, next Sunday, uh, we will be uh, on August 15th back together Uh, at the Winter Park Community Center, and uh, we're going to be praying over the kids as they go back to school, speaking blessing over the kids and just getting to celebrate uh, that moment. Uh, Some of us parents are celebrating kids are going back to school, Um, but wherever we're at in that homeschool uh, or sending the kids off to school, we just want to speak God's blessing uh, as we're together next week. Uh, And I'm so looking forward to that. I really want to encourage you to be there. We're going to continue uh, with the second message in our counterculture series. And I want to speak that to you in person next Sunday. Uh, But today I want to speak about the power of togetherness, the power of togetherness. And uh, I don't know if it's just being, uh, you know, cooped up at home or if it's just Um, The moment that we're in culturally, uh, you know, this last uh, year and a half, uh, or if it's just the Holy Spirit speaking in my heart. But I I really have this on my heart today that I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak to you. And it's probably not a message that's going to tell you anything new, but I do believe it's going to be an encouragement to us that we all need to hear. And if you have your Bibles, I want to look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And... um, It says this, probably a familiar passage to many of us. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place, or they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The power of togetherness. When you think about uh, power passages in the Bible, there's probably no passage of Scripture that we could look at uh, if we were to think about 
power that would more clearly display power than Acts chapter 2. This is the birth of the church. It is the, uh, some people have said it's like the rocket fuel that blasted the church into outer space orbit. Uh, It is an incredible fulfillment, really, of Jesus's Uh, words in the previous chapter that said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so here we have this power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. And sometimes when we read this passage, people love this passage, especially people that may consider themselves Pentecostals or Charismatics. But really every follower of Jesus recognizes the importance of this scripture. And oftentimes when we, we read it, we talk about the uh, the, the mighty rushing wind. Or maybe we talk about the, the tongues uh, of fire appearing over every person's head. Or maybe we talk about this, you know, the gift of tongues being released. And wow, what a demonstration of power. And certainly all of those things are incredible, wonderful, uh, desirable demonstrations of God's power. But I believe, in fact, the greatest demonstration of power in this verse is actually not in those things, but it's in verse one. And it's contained in that phrase that says this, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord. Or other translation says they were all together in one place. Now, I think it's important to recognize that it, it gives both the fact that they were in one place, but they were also together. And, you know, you can be in one place, but not be together. And we probably all had those moments where maybe you meet somebody, a guy and a girl for the first time, and you kind of go, okay, are you guys together? You know what I'm saying? And uh, you're not meaning, are you together just, um, you know, in the same place in terms of proximity? We're not talking about proximity, Uh, When the Bible says they were all together, it's not talking about just proximity, physical proximity. It's talking about a quality of relationship. There was this togetherness that went beyond just the physical space. It was a spiritual reality, a depth of relationship. They were together. And I, I want you to understand that I believe everything in this passage flows out of this statement, they were all together. They were all together. In fact, throughout the Bible, again and again, we see that God's power is displayed when people are together. When people come together, again, not just in physical proximity, although when you are together, you want to be together in in proximity. You want to meet together. But when there is this quality of relationship, in fact, the the word that the Bible uses that we translate as together, or some places it translates, my Bible translates as one accord, is the word homothemidon. Homothemidon. And that is a word that is this quality of relationship, this togetherness of heart. It's kind of like if you've ever seen a, a flock of birds that, that somehow just fly together. You know, they don't have a plan. They're not following a GPS. There's something within them, a God-given uh, innate nature that allows them to sense this, um, 
meeting of the minds, this coming together that allows them to almost function, although they're they're a flock of birds, they function together. They move together as one. Maybe you've seen uh, some of the incredible athletes in the Olympics lately. And if you've seen like the, um, the tandem diving, I'm blown away. I mean, the fact that anybody can spin so many times and go into the water and like leave no splash behind them just blows my mind. But what's even more amazing that, than that is when they're in tandem, when they're doing it together. And that's what the, the Bible is wanting to give us here, this beautiful picture of this group of people that were not only in the same room, but they were moving together. They were praying together. They were worshiping together. There was this oneness of heart and mind and soul that they were, they, they were moving together. And it was in that moment, the Bible says, suddenly, suddenly the Holy Spirit came. Suddenly the power of God was poured out. And we can see that again and again throughout Scripture, but not only throughout Scripture, but history also tells us that perhaps the greatest prerequisite for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit is togetherness. It is unity. If you study the history of revivals, which is really a repetition of this event from Acts chapter 2 that's just happened again and again throughout history, there's a lot of diversity. There's, There's times where God uses different types of people and where God moves in different places and and where the circumstances unfold in a different way. But one thing that is a constant is that it always flows out of togetherness. It always flows out of this power of togetherness. And oftentimes we read this and we think, wow, the wind, wow, the fire, wow, speaking in tongues, wow, the the, the multitudes coming into the church and the signs and the wonders. But I believe when God looks at this, he would say, wow, a group of people who are together, who are together, because that is ultimately a reflection of God's character, of God's togetherness. And, you know, for those who were the original readers of this, or perhaps even people that were observers of this event, this was really mind-blowing. Because if you know about the people who were in the room, in the natural, they were not people who would be together. I mean, even just among Jesus's core team of disciples who became the apostles, um, you had Matthew, who was a tax collector. He's a big government guy. He's, you know, collecting taxes for Rome. And then you also have Simon the Zealot. And he was uprising against the oppressive government. I mean, this was two ends of the spectrum. This was the, you know, to put it in today's vernacular, it's the guy with the MAGA hat on, and it's the other guy that's the Bernie Sanders guy. (laughs) It's these two people that you would think, what in the world are they doing together? And that was true not only um, of these uh, political divides, but there was just a group of people that you never would have thought these people, a physician, and and a tax collector, and fishermen, and men, and women. But they're all in this place, and ultimately their togetherness happened because they understood their togetherness was in Christ. It, It wasn't just that they were in the same place, but they were in Christ. 
And, you know, my prayer, even as we move forward as a church, I'm so excited to have a place to come together. But my prayer is that we just that we wouldn't just be together physically in one place, but that we would be together in one heart, in one mind. And, and I believe that's the thing that will cause the world to to. Uh, be drawn into the church. You know, oftentimes um, when a church starts, a church will advertise a lot of things. They'll advertise, come check out our incredible children's ministry. Come check out our, you know, cool praise and worship. Come check out our amazing coffee. And, you know, we did those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what would happen, I wonder, if a church sent out a flyer with a group of people that when people got the flyer, they said, what in the world are those people doing together? I know that guy and I know that guy and they wouldn't be caught dead together. There's something going on here that I've got to go find out what's happening. And in fact, that's what Jesus says uh, ought to mark us. He said, they will know that you're my disciples, not by your cool kids programs. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, in fact, we, we are excited to relaunch that in a greater way, but not about the cutting edge music or the style of music, uh, not even about the cool, compelling, creative preaching. Again, nothing wrong with those things. I think they're all great. But what Jesus said would mark his disciples. Here's what he said. The world will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. What if we, as a church, sure, we can have all of those things, nothing wrong with those things, but what if the world looked at us and went, I don't know what's going on with those people. I I don't know why they are together, but there is something happening there I've got to find out. What do these people from opposite ends of the spectrum, from different uh, ethnic backgrounds, different socio-political perspectives, uh, different people with different opinions on different things, but they're all together. What would that do in our world? And ultimately, that's what was happening in this passage. And it was because they understood that their unity was in Christ. Their unity was in Christ. Christ. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, that he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. In the context of this passage, he's talking to people that were familiar with the separation between Jews and Gentiles in the temple. Gentiles were considered unclean. They weren't to be allowed into the temple. But he's saying that when Jesus has come, he's broken down the middle wall. There is no separation. The things that used to divide you, yes, you still have your own natural ethnicity. You have your own natural identity, men and women, and, and perhaps even your own you know, socio-political identity. But now you have a greater identity in Christ. It's out of that recognition that unity and togetherness flow, and that's what will change the world around us, the power of togetherness. And I want to encourage us as a church that we need to, in this day and age that we live, we need to contend for togetherness. 
I believe we need to make togetherness a priority, not just let's get together in the same room, although, yes, we need to do that. I want to do that. But we need to make togetherness of of unity of heart a top priority. As the world becomes increasingly divided and fragmented and fighting, the world doesn't have peace. I don't know if you're aware of this newsflash, but there is no peace in the world because we don't have Jesus or the world doesn't have Jesus. But we as the church, we are a new humanity. We are a new creation. We are a new society in Christ. Or as we like to say, we live the Jesus life together. That's our vision as a church. And so I want to speak to you really quickly, just three things that I believe are dangers to our togetherness, if we're gonna experience the power of togetherness, ultimately to bring an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to avoid the dangers that could lead us away from togetherness. And the first thing I want you to see, the first danger of togetherness, again, this may not be rocket science to you, but I think it's something that we need to meditate on and that we need to continually put into practice. But the first thing is the danger of drifting. The danger of drifting. Uh, We've probably all gone to the beach, um, set up camp on the beach, gone down into the water, whether you're a surfer or a boogie boarder or a um, body surfer or just a splash arounder, whatever you do, you've probably all gone down into the water. And we've probably all had the experience where we hang out in the water for a little bit, we get out, we come back up, and suddenly we realize, where'd my stuff go? (laughs) Where'd my people go? Where am I? I got in, I got out, and suddenly we're in a different place. But the thing is, we don't realize that we've drifted. The current has just caused us to drift. And life is that way. And relationships can be that way. In church, in family, in marriage, in friendships. Uh, Life has a way of just causing us to drift over time. And that's not bad. It's just... Uh, important for us to recognize the tendency for our togetherness to drift. That's why the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And endeavor, that means make effort. That means work at it. Now, that's true in church. We as a church, we're going to have to work at togetherness. And in this season, uh, we've got to work at it a little bit more because we're not all together weekly as we have been in the past. But I believe that God's going to bring a greater togetherness out of this as we endeavor to keep the unity, to keep the togetherness. You know, it's it's true also in marriage. Um, You know, you can exchange vows And you can commit your life to somebody, but you've got to constantly recommit. You've got to go back and and recommit, renew. I'm not saying that you become unmarried. I'm just saying that that relationship can drift. You know, Jennifer and I have been married almost 17 years now. And uh, this month is marks 17 years that we began uh, our relationship uh, towards marriage. And Uh, Over those years, you know, life just has a way of pulling us uh, away from one another a little bit. Busyness can cause us to drift or the season of life with, you know, perhaps 
uh, my involvement in one area and her involvement in another area, uh, if we're not careful, can cause us to drift. That's why things like having a date night is so important, uh, not as a legalism, but it just is helping us to come back to this place of togetherness, this place of unity. And that's really what the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says, don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As some are in the habit, he's saying, don't, don't let yourself drift off. You know, if you've been serving the Lord for long enough, you probably, like I can, think of people that used to be serving the Lord, but they've just allowed themselves to drift. And, you know, I, I heard uh, and read a Instagram post that somebody shared with me this past week, and, and it was from Dr. Tony Evans, who is just an incredible pastor and Bible teacher. But he said this, he said, uh, you know, you don't, have to be, uh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. He said, it's true. You're saved by grace alone through faith alone. But he said, you, you also don't have to come home to be married. But if you stay away long enough, it can affect the quality of the relationship. And that's true that, that over time, uh, our togetherness can drift. And, you know, I want to encourage us as a church just to recommit to the importance of togetherness. Practically speaking, uh, I think when we have moments, whether it's in house church, whether it's online, um, whether it's uh, in person as we will be next Sunday, or even just picking up the phone and calling people. You know, this week as I came out of quarantine, I just thought, man, I miss people. I miss people. And in fact, I picked up the phone and just called people. Uh, a few people that I just thought, man, I just, I just want to talk to you because I've missed you. I've not seen you in a little while. And friendships that are valuable can drift over time. Marriages can drift over time. Relationships with our children and relationships in the church, our togetherness can drift. And we want to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Fight the drift. Don't let, don't let relationship just drift and community drift we want to avoid the danger of drifting. The second thing I want you to see, the second danger to our togetherness is not just drifting, but disagreement. Disagreement. And yes, all of these are Ds. But the second is disagreement. Um, now, the fact is that we're all going to disagree at some time or another. Everybody uh, disagrees. I heard somebody say this, that opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple of them and they stink. <laughs> and, you know, that can be true at times, but it's part of life. We all have, you know, ideas and God's made us to have our, you know, our own thoughts. And ultimately that's so that we can be better together, but we can allow our opinions to cause us to go from drifting into disagreement. And, um, you know, to, to drift. And, and sometimes I, even with myself, i got to tell you, sometimes I, I disagree with my own self. <laughs> I've said things and then later I've thought, no, nah, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Um, Jennifer and I, at times, don't always agree. There's times where she's wrong. No, I'm just kidding. There's times I'm wrong. But there's sometimes where we just have different opinions on things because we're human. And there's nothing wrong with disagreeing. You know, in a church, you get a bunch of people together. There's some people that are going to have an opinion on this and that. They're going to feel this way and maybe even strongly. And certainly over the last year, year and a half, uh, if there's ever been the opportunity for disagreement, man, we have had the opportunity like crazy for disagreement. 
But you know what? There is, a, there, there is an antidote to disagreement, and it's actually pretty obvious. It's agreement. It's agreement. And that's why Jesus said this. He said, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's out of Matthew 18, 19. And Jesus is actually talking about the church. And it's one of only two places in the Gospels that Jesus speaks about the church. And he's talking about the power of the church in the context of agreement. You know, we can get into a room and I could, uh, you know, I could ask one person what the color of the walls is and they can think it's one color and somebody else can think it's another color. I can ask everybody, you know, is the temperature comfortable? And one person will think it is and another person will think it's not. I can ask one person, uh, you know, their opinion on one thing and everybody's going to have a different opinion. And, and so the... The answer is not to focus on all of the things that we can disagree on. The answer is to focus on the things we agree on. It's kind of like uh, if you were to take a hundred pianos and you wanted to tune those pianos in, with one another. If you tried to get you know, one piano in tune with the second piano, you may be able to get them matched up, but probably by the time you got to the third, fourth, fifth, they're all going to be a little bit off. But that's not how they tune a piano. The way they tune a piano is they get a tuning fork and they tune the piano to the tuning fork. And if you tune a hundred pianos, not to each other, but to the same tuning fork, they will all be in tune together. Why? Because they're all in agreement to something beyond themselves. And that's what we do in the church. We're all coming into agreement. You know, to be in the church is not just to show up in the same building, uh, you know, on a weekly or biweekly or monthly occasion. It's actually to come into agreement with the truth of God's word. In the church, we are saying, you know what? We agree that God is good. We, we agree that he loves us. We agree that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins in our place. And through faith in him, we can have forgiveness of sins and we can receive the Holy Spirit and we can, we can live a transformed life from the inside out. We can love each other and we can become the kind of people that God has called us to be. We can live the life we've always longed for, the life that Jesus modeled for us. Those are the things, and ultimately, that we have the eternal hope that one day Jesus is coming back. Those are the things that bring us into agreement, that we are in agreement in God's word. And so I want to encourage us at this moment when it's so easy, it's so easy to fire off a tweet, post my opinion, post my thought, and I'm not saying it's wrong for you to have your opinion. We should all have our opinions. We should all be fully convinced of what we believe is right. But, but you can be right and be alone. <laughs> and in fact, I've found that out in marriage. I can either be right all the time or in my own mind think I'm right. Or I can be in love. And let me tell you, love is better than being right. And I believe the same is true in the church. Are there things that we should disagree on? Absolutely. But if we focus on the things that we disagree on, we'll never come into the place of unity. And so I hope our hearts 
rally towards the beautiful truth of the gospel. I hope our hearts rally towards the beautiful call that we have to be followers of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit, the call that we have to to change the world by making disciples, the the longing for the kingdom of God. I hope all of those things cause us to, to rally together. And in the book of Romans chapter 14, Paul actually talks to a church that's arguing. They're talking about, they're not talking about vaccines. They're not talking about masks. They're not talking about you know, political ideas that we have today, but they have sharp disagreements. And it's over whether or not they should eat food offered to idols or not. And he ends up saying this in Romans chapter 14. In fact, I want to just turn there. In Romans chapter 14, verse 19, here's, here's his final word. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. In other words, he doesn't say, let's focus on being right. He says, let's focus on peace. You may have your opinion about food offered to an idol. Maybe you feel it violates your conscience in that, in that context. He would say, don't eat it. If it violates your conscience, don't eat it. But then he would say to others, hey, if you feel free to eat food offered to an idol, what is an idol? It's, it's a statue. It's nothing. So you eat that food with a heart filled with thanksgiving and gratitude to God. But if you eat, don't criticize another who doesn't eat. And if you don't eat, don't criticize the one who does eat. In other words, pursue peace, pursue togetherness. You know, togetherness and unity, it's, it's kind of like our health. Oftentimes we don't know how important it is until it's gone. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe in a marriage you've experienced uh, the the. Uh, dissolving of a marriage or a relationship or maybe just the cooling of the togetherness. Maybe you're in that place today. Maybe you've had a a rift in relationship over this last year. I want to encourage you. Let's let's pursue peace. Let's, Let's go after the things that bring us together. I've got my own opinions. And to be honest, I often withhold sharing my own opinions. First of all, because probably I'm not going to change anybody else's mind, number one. But number two, I, I want to make the gospel the main thing. If I'm going to die on a hill, I'm not going to die on the hill of my opinion. I'm going to die on the hill of the gospel. And, and that's the place where we come into agreement. And I want to encourage us, let's avoid the danger of drifting. Let's avoid the danger of disagreement. And then lastly, let's avoid the danger of division. Let's avoid the danger of division. You know, ultimately, drifting makes way for disagreement. And we can disagree but not divide. But oftentimes, if we stay in the place of disagreement, we open up the door to disunity or to division. And ultimately, you know, division is like cancer in the body of Christ. It always brings death. If we could tell the, um, you know, the, the body count of those who have been hurt through division, through fighting, through arguing over things that may not even matter, but it opens up the door to the enemy. And that's why the Bible is so strong on the issue of unity and uh, warning against disunity. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, 
In Proverbs chapter 6, the Bible tells us six things that the Lord hates. Six things God hates. I don't know about you, but I don't want to make that list. (laughs) And in verse 19, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 19, it says that the Lord hates one who sows discord among the brethren. Why? Because God loves unity. And therefore, God hates when there is disunity. I don't know about you, but I hate cancer because I hate what cancer does to people. I hate the pain. I got to tell you, I hate COVID because I hate the pain. I hate the suffering. I hate what it's done to people. And God feels the same way about disunity. He hates it, not because he hates the people, but he hates what it does to people. And when we love people, we hate disunity. When we love Jesus, we hate anything that would open up the door to division. And ultimately, uh, division, the root of division, I think, is revealed even in the word division. It's a compound word. Die meaning more than one, two, multiple vision. Die vision. And ultimately, when we get our eyes off of the place that it should be, we end up falling into division. And in marriage and in church and in family and in friendships, nobody ever starts off by saying, I think we're just going to get really divided. I think we're going to let an issue, you know, just kind of bring us to the breaking point and we're just going to end in division. No, you don't, you don't decide to divide. You, you, you drift and then you disagree and then you find yourself in the place of division. And to use another musical illustration, I love the picture of a symphony. You know, that word, uh, in fact, in the scripture, oftentimes the, the same root word for unity is the same word that we get symphony from. Uh, harmony. There's this sense of multiple things that are all distinct and different. You know, in a symphony, there's a wind section, um, there's a brass section, there's a string section. And maybe if you've ever heard a band or a symphony warming up, you, you know that sound. It's not very pretty. I was in the band in middle school, and I remember the moments when everybody was warming up, and, you know, the clarinet players are playing, and it's kind of, they're all doing their own thing, and, you know, the trumpet players are all playing their own thing. And this is true not just in a middle school band, it's true in the you know, New York symphony or the most beautiful symphonies in the world. If you've ever heard them warm up, they're all playing their own thing. It's just kind of a cacophony of noise. But then there's a moment when the conductor steps up and the conductor raises a little white wand. I forget what it's called. It's not a wand, I don't think, but he taps it or she taps it and she gets everybody's attention and she or he begins to lead them together. And what was a cacophony of noise? What seemed to be uh, just something that you want to plug your ear? Suddenly, this beautiful sound begins to emerge. It's the sound of harmony. It's the sound of differences, not competing with one another, but coming into unity, coming into togetherness. And that's really a picture of what God wants to do in the church. That's a picture of what God wants to do among us. And uh, one church, Park District, 
I, I have it so much in my heart. And I don't know if it's because I've just been away from you and I'm missing you, or I don't know if it's the danger of the culture that we can get swept away in the current of drifting into disagreement. But I can tell you this, it's my love for you and my love for our community that, that says, let's keep our eyes on the conductor. Let's not put our eyes on the, the government. I'm not saying that we don't see that. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but there's a difference between what matters and what we magnify. Let's put our eyes on Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's let Jesus be the one that is conducting us. And there may be moments when he says, I want you to speak up. Like the conductor says, okay, louder. And then there's other moments when he may say quiet. And Jesus may be speaking to us. It's not that your thoughts are wrong, but I just want you to be quiet. Or maybe he's saying, I want you to speak up. I want you to bring your gift. I want you to bring your personality. But what's the issue? The issue is where are our eyes? Are our eyes on Jesus? Is he our vision? Or are we, do we have die vision, multiple vision? I believe that God is looking for a people that will be one, not just in one place, but that will be of one heart, one soul. That when the world looks at us, they'd say, I don't know what they're all doing together. Something supernatural is happening. I, I don't believe what they believe. I, I, I may not even like it, but they figured out something that the world needs. They've learned how to be together. And that's my prayer for us today. In, in, in this season, through the remainder of this year, even as we get together in person next Sunday, I want to encourage you, come together. Let's sync up. Let's be in that atmosphere of the presence of God. What are we doing? We're all coming like a symphony. We're putting our eyes on the conductor and we're letting him lead us to make the melodies and the harmonies that he's called us to make for his glory. Father, I thank you today for every person. God, I thank you for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that's a part of this church. And Lord, we pray that in this season when it can be so easy to drift and to disagree, and Lord, ultimately even to perhaps slide towards division, God, we pray Lord, would you become our conductor? Would you, Holy Spirit, step onto the stand of our church? Would you call us to attention? Would you call our eyes off of the things of this world? And would you call us to put our attention once again on that which is eternal? Father, we pray that we would be one, not just in name, not just in word, but God, let us be one in heart and soul together so that the Holy Spirit can come in a greater way, I pray. Thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, church, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to be together in person with you next Sunday. I want to encourage you, bring a friend. We're going to continue our counterculture series. Maybe today you feel like you've drifted. Maybe today you feel like you've allowed an area of disagreement to, to lead towards disunity. I want to encourage you to take some time just to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. Maybe you need to pick up the phone. Maybe you need to call somebody. Maybe you need to say, hey, I'm sorry. I've allowed something in my heart. I've allowed hurt. I've allowed bitterness. Hey, I'm sorry. I've, I've shouted my opinion when the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, quiet. I, I, I want to encourage you. Whatever God puts on your heart, let's respond to it today. God bless you. I love you so much. Can't wait to be together with you next Sunday. I'll see you then.